0: you know we we're waiting we're hoping we're praying that we'll be able to to watch football games this fall and as of right now things aren't looking too promising are they but i think one of the things that we really love about college football is all the pageantry surrounding the game you can go to different little towns all over the country on a saturday afternoon or a saturday night and you see these traditions that are that are unique and that are that are um, interesting but among the fan bases of all the different teams and they come week after week practicing these same traditions and looking forward to these certain uh, things going to happen and one of the greatest traditions in college football is the entrance of the team onto the football field. And you can go to the various schools and see different ways that they do it. You would think it would just be the team walking onto the field, but oh no, that's not what it is. It's different things at different places. And as a college football fan, you see all these different ones, and there's some, some really good ones. I think that the Tennessee Volunteers running through the tee is a really good entrance, okay? I'll just put that out there. I think that's a really good one. I think that Clemson touching Howard's Rock and then running down the hill, I think that's a really cool entrance. I think when Notre Dame comes through the tunnel and they slap the sign that says play like a champion today, that that gets you hyped up. I think that the Miami Hurricanes running through all of the smoke is, is, is intimidating as they come onto the field. I think that Uh, Oklahoma running out after the Sooner Schooner is really cool unless it flips over and then it's not so cool right and as an Alabama fan I'm even willing to admit that Auburn's Golden Eagle circling around the stadium and landing at midfield is a really cool entrance okay but the entrance to me that's the most exciting is when the Virginia Tech Hokies enter into Lane Stadium uh, to enter Sandman and this is a, a video of it right here. I'm at the bottom they will wait for a song I'm at the bottom they will wait for a song that Metallica wrote twenty-six years ago. Enter Sandman has been used to lead this team out every home game since 2000 There is nothing like it. They all know the lyrics, and they will sing along to enter Sandman. That's the Okie Stone right there. we go. The jumping up and down registers on the seismograph. (laughs) The earth literally shakes here. The crowd is so raucous that it it registers on the seismograph. The earth is literally shaking. Can you imagine being in the stadium as the the team is running out onto the field and all of the energy and the excitement uh, to see their team enter into the stadium? Well, today we're going to learn about the greatest entrance of all time. It doesn't have the smoke, it doesn't have the lights, it, it doesn't have the, the walk-up music, but there is nothing greater than Jesus coming into his city to save the world. So if you have your Bibles this morning, I ask that you to stand in honor of God's Word, if you're able, as we continue our series through uh, called On the Mountains, and we're looking at these mountaintop experiences in the life of Jesus. And today we're going to be on the Mount of Olives with the triumphal entry of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, Matthew chapter 21, beginning in verse 1. The Word of God says, When they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, Jesus then sent two disciples, telling them, Go into the village ahead of you, and at once, You'll find a donkey tied there with her colt. Untie them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place so that what was spoken through the prophet might be fulfilled. Tell daughter Zion, see, your king is coming to you, gentle and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And the disciples went and did just as Jesus directed them. And they brought the donkey and the colt and they laid their clothes on them and he sat on them. A very large crowd spread their clothes on the road and others were cutting branches from the trees and spreading them on the road. And the crowds who went ahead of him and those who followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest heaven, and when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was in an uproar saying, who is this? And the crowds were saying, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. Thank you, you may be seated. Today, I want us to examine this triumphal entry of Jesus. I want us to consider all of the, the weight of what this, what this event entails as Jesus is coming into the city of Jerusalem to die, to be raised again, to ascend to the Father, to save the world. And so, as we look at this passage of Scripture, the first thing that we see is that Jesus is a Messiah of promise. As you look through Matthew's Gospel in particular, Matthew is very uh, clear about showing all throughout his Gospel how Jesus fulfilled Old Testament prophecies, how Jesus is the the promised Jewish Messiah. And how he over and over again fulfills this scripture and that scripture. In verse 2, for example, he tells them to go into the village. At once you'll find a donkey there with her foal and tie them and bring them to me. And so Jesus is fulfilling everything that the prophets of old foretold about the Messiah who would come. In Luke chapter 18 and verse 31... Jesus took the 12 aside. He tells them, see, we're about to go up to Jerusalem and everything that's written through the prophets about the son of man will be accomplished. Everything he says. And in this passage of scripture, a prophecy concerning the son of man is about to be fulfilled. In fact, in verse four, Matthew tells us, this took place so that what was spoken through the prophet might be fulfilled. And then they they quote here from the Old Testament prophet of Zechariah. Zechariah chapter 9 and verse 9, which says, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout in triumph, daughter Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, humble, and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. In Isaiah's prophecy, in Isaiah chapter 62, verses 10 and 11, he says to us, go out. Go out through the city gates. Prepare a way for the people. Build it up. Build up the highway. Clear away the stones. Raise a banner for the peoples. Look, the Lord has proclaimed to the ends of the earth. Say to daughter Zion, Look, your salvation is coming. His wages are with him, and his reward accompanies him. And so, in this very simple act of Jesus riding a donkey into the city of Jerusalem, he was fulfilling the prophecies regarding the Messiah. Now of course this isn't the only one. When you read through the the gospels we see that Jesus was born of a virgin, that he was born in the line of David, that he was born in Bethlehem, that his family fled to Egypt and fulfilled the prophecy that God would call his son out of Egypt, on and on and on. There's all sorts of prophecies that are fulfilled in the life of Jesus and you may be thinking to yourself okay that's interesting but I mean what's what's the point of this the point is that this meticulous fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy inspires confidence in us that Jesus is in fact the promised Messiah that he's the one the one that Israel was waiting for the one that all the world was hoping for he is him now there was a professor of science at Westmont College by the name of Peter Stoner. And Dr. Stoner did a project in which he was looking at these prophecies of the Old Testament and estimating uh, how one person could fulfill all these various prophecies. He had a group of about 600 university students that were working with him on this project and they looked at all the different factors surrounding every prophecy and they tried to make all their estimates conservative enough that everyone would agree that, that yeah, that, this looks good mathematically. For, so for example, in, in Micah chapter 5 verse 2, it says that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. So all the students looked at the average population of Bethlehem from the time of Micah all the way to the present day. And then they divided it by the average population of the earth during that same period, and they concluded that the chance of one man being born in Bethlehem was one in 300,000. So they did this with all these various prophecies. And so they they took eight of the major prophecies concerning the Messiah, and they estimated that the chance of one man fulfilling all these eight prophecies was one in 10 to the 17th degree, right? So, To illustrate how large this number is, that would be a a figure with 17 zeros behind it. So this is what Dr. Stoner says to to help us to get our mind, we don't think about numbers like that, so this will help us get our mind around this. He says if if you had 10 tickets, and you marked one of the tickets, and you put all the tickets in a hat, and you stirred them around really good, and you told a person to pick a ticket out of it, their chance of picking the right ticket would be... One in 10, right? So that's a one, in, a one in 10 chance. So he says, so suppose that you took 10 to the 17th degree of silver dollars. Well, so a number with 17 zeros behind it, silver dollars, and you laid them out across the face of the state of Texas. He says it would cover the entire state of Texas two feet deep, all right? That's how many silver dollars you would need. He says, so then you would go all over the whole state of Texas and you would stir up all the silver dollars and then you would tell a person blindfolded to go out there and and find the one silver dollar that had a dot on it. And their chances of picking the right dollar across the whole state of Texas two feet deep is the same probability of all of these eight prophecies coming true in one man. Are you hearing this? People attack the the validity and the truthfulness of Scripture. This is a day of skepticism. And and maybe today you have doubts about whether the book that you're holding in your hand is true. Maybe you have doubts about whether the promises of God are are true today. But I want you to, to think about the impossibility of doing what Jesus did. It's showing his miraculous power and that he is in fact the Messiah that was promised for us. That this is the handiwork of God to send his son to save us from our sin. So we have this Messiah of promise. The second thing that we see in this passage is that we have a Messiah of praise. Notice that how the disciples are responding to Jesus as he comes into town. It's not quite seemingly like Lane Stadium where they're jumping up and down and getting really crazy, but they're getting pretty bi- Bible crazy right here, right? I mean, they're waving palm branches and they're throwing cloaks on the ground and they're yelling, Hosanna in the highest. I mean, they're, they're getting excited in verses eight and nine. There's this large crowd spreading their clothes on the road. They're cutting branches from the trees. They're spreading them on the road. The crowds that went ahead, those that are following were shouting, Hosanna. To the son of David, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Uh, Hosanna is in the Hebrew means save us now. That's what they're shouting. Save us now, son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Save us. They're calling for a savior. Now they don't understand just yet exactly how Jesus is going to save them. They're probably looking for a a military figure that's going to come in and overthrow the Roman occupation. They're hoping that he's going to set all that right, but Jesus had a a much greater plan for his entrance into Jerusalem. They're calling him the son of David, and, and that is significant, it means that he's in the in the kingly line that from King David, the, the, the hero, the, the prototypical king of Israel, they're, they're saying he, he's a son of David. They're saying, is a, is, a, is a king of Israel going to come and sit on his throne in Jerusalem again? That's what they're hoping for. But even more importantly, when they call him the son of David, it means that he's in the messianic line because all of the prophecies of the Old Testament declared that, that the Messiah would come from the line of David. And here he comes. In Luke's telling of the triumphal entry, he gives us some more details. And in Luke 19, verses 36 through 38, he says, as he was going alone, they were spreading their clothes on the road and he came near the path down the Mount of Olives. The whole crowd, of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the miracles that they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven, glory in the highest heaven. They're remembering all the miracles that he had done. So they're, they're excited, they're praising him. They're seeing this king coming into their city. And when you observe everything that's happening, there's just one conclusion. This is the reception of a king. This is the celebration of, of a regent who's coming in victory. If you look in the Old Testament, in the Psalms, Psalm 118 in verse 22, the Bible says that the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And this came from the Lord. It's wondrous in our sight. This is the day the Lord has made. Let's rejoice and be glad in it. And here you go. Lord, save us. Hosanna. Lord, please uh, grant us success. He who comes in the name of the Lord is blessed. From the house of the Lord, we bless you. The Lord is God, he's given us light. So bind the festival sacrifice with cords to the horns of the altar. You're my God, I will give you thanks. You're my God, I will exalt you. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. This is what the people are proclaiming as Jesus is coming into town. They're waving these palm branches. They're throwing their coats on the road to make the way for the king with praise. And this sort of response is fitting for the coming of a king. He's due adoration. He's due our awe. He's due glory and honor. He's due worship and reverence. And it wasn't just on this first Palm Sunday. It's today It's every Sunday. It's every day. So don't just sit there like this is a ho-hum event. Don't just wave your palm branch on Sunday and forget about him on Friday. The king of creation is here. And he's worthy of our singing. He's worthy of our thanksgiving. He's worthy of our praise. He's worthy of our obedience. He's worthy of our allegiance. He's worthy of our lives. And so we cry out, Hosanna, save us now, Lord, because our Savior has come and He's the Messiah of praise. The last thing that we see in the passage is that Jesus is the Messiah of peace. And when Jesus rides into town on a donkey, it's symbolic of His mission. One commentator writes that in the ancient Middle Eastern world, leaders rode horses if they were riding out to war, but they rode donkeys if they were coming in peace. For example, in 1 Kings chapter one, we see when Solomon is inaugurated as the new king, he comes riding on a donkey. And so the fact that Jesus is coming into town on a cold on riding on a donkey, he's coming as a peacemaker. He's coming as the prince of peace. This is not what they were expecting. They were looking for a military leader, one that would overthrow the Roman occupation. They wanted their king riding on a horse, on a big stallion with a shield and a spear in his hand. But Jesus comes riding on a, a donkey into town. They quoted from Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, earlier. But if you look at the very next verse in Zechariah chapter 9 verse 10 this is how the prophecy continues he says I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the horse from Jerusalem the bow of war will be removed he'll proclaim peace to the nations his dominion will extend from sea to sea from the Euphrates River to the ends of the earth and so this king that Zechariah prophesied about would proclaim peace to the nations his kingdom would go from sea to sea to the very ends of the earth. In verse 10 and 11 of our passage, it says when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was in an uproar saying, who is this? The crowds were saying, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. Who is this? That's the important question from this passage of scripture. I mean, who? Who is this? You get the whole uproar. The whole city's coming out. It says large crowds are there. There's a ruckus, there's singing, there's praising. One of the other gospels that you see that all the Pharisees get in on the, uh, the attention and they're, they're like, why are they praising And Jesus, tell them to be quiet. He says, if they'll be quiet, then the stones will praise me, right? And so the whole city is, attention is turned here at this point. What's important about him? The crowd said that he was a prophet, and he was, but there's more to Jesus than that. The disciples wrestled with this same question earlier. Jesus asked them what the people thought, and they said, well, some people say you're a prophet, some say Elijah, some say that you're John the Baptist, and Jesus said, well, who do you say that I am? And Peter responded, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. God. He's the Christ. Now there were other prophets that had come to Jerusalem in ages past but Jesus' arrival in Jerusalem is different. He's come to make peace between God and man. He is the Christ. He arrived on Palm Sunday leading up to the Passover celebration and this was a significant time in the Jewish calendar as the city of Jerusalem's population would swell five and six times as all these pilgrims came into the city to celebrate the Passover. It was the time of year that they remembered how God had delivered them from slavery in Egypt. And that blood of the lamb was painted on the doorpost. And that would be a sign of their, of their faith, that they trusted in the promise of God that he would pass over them and that he would spare their lives. But on this week, Jesus would be the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He would be the sacrificial lamb for us. So that if we would trust in in his blood as the payment of our sins, God will pass over us in judgment because of Jesus. And this wasn't the first time that a son rode a donkey here. A few thousand years earlier, Isaac rode his father Abraham's donkey up to Mount Moriah. And Abraham was going there to sacrifice his son Isaac on the mountain but God provided a, a lamb that was caught in the thorns as a substitute for the sacrifice. And on this week, the son would be the lamb with his head caught in a crown of thorns. And he would be our peace. This is all that's going through Jesus' mind as he's entering into Jerusalem. He's going there for a very specific purpose. His eyes were fixed on Jerusalem. In Luke's account, in Luke 19 verse 42, Jesus says, if, if you knew this day, what would bring peace? But now it's hidden from your eyes. They're crying out for peace. He says, if you just knew what would really bring peace. He knew that they desired peace. He he was coming to bring them peace, but they're going to cry out, Crucify him in just a few days. And the Prince of of Peace would be handed over and crucified. His disciples are, are crying out peace in Luke 19, verse 38. They're saying, Peace in heaven, glory in the highest heaven. And Jesus is the one who's going to bring peace to them, He is the consolation of Israel. At the beginning of his life, Zechariah held up Jesus when he was dedicated in the temple in Luke 179 and he said about him that he would shine on those who live in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Even the name of the city that he's come to is important because Jerusalem means foundation of peace. So what's peace for Jerusalem? Jerusalem. Peace for Jerusalem is their Messiah, the one who's now riding on a donkey into town, the one who would reconcile them to God because the world was was hopeless in its sin, but now the Messiah has come to bring us salvation. The world had turned against God, but now the Messiah has come to bring reconciliation and to bring peace. And it's gonna cost him his very life, but he was willing to lay it down because of his love for you and for me. He's this Messiah of peace. And what an entrance as he comes to town, not to pomp and circumstance, but to come and to suffer and die and to be raised again for you for me. There may be some here today, there may be some that are watching online who need today to put their faith in Jesus as their Messiah. To recognize that you have sinned against God and, and that your sin separates you from God, and you need someone to make peace. You need someone to reconcile us to God. You need someone who could remove our sin from us, who could wash us clean. And the only way that that can happen is through this Christ through his death that he made payment for our sin through his blood that he shed. And today, if you would put your hope in Jesus' death and in his resurrection, you can be forgiven of your sin. Today, you can be cleansed. Today, you can have a relationship with God. All it takes is for you to repent of your sin and to call on Jesus to save you today. In a moment, we're gonna have a time of response and we're gonna stand and we're gonna sing and this is a chance for you to, to answer what God is saying in your heart. There's gonna be leaders across the back where you can step out and go and speak to one of them. I'll be here at the front if you wanna come and, and, and speak to me but to say, Lord, I, I know that I've sinned and I know that I need you to forgive me and today I want you to save me. If you're in the room or watching online, you could grab your cell phone and you could text the word DECIDE to the number eight six five two three four three two four one, and let us know that this is a decision that you want to make in your heart. And we'll follow up with you and let you know what it means to, to follow after Jesus. Christians, as we think about this passage of scripture, I pray that this message today has encouraged your hearts. When you consider the, the fulfillment of prophecy, you, that you would be emboldened in your faith that Jesus keeps all of his promises. When you consider the praise of the people that you would be faithful to worship Christ because he's worthy. When you consider the, the peace that Christ brings us, that we can rest in the assurance of our salvation. And so maybe today you wanna to spend some time in prayer at your seat or, or even here at this altar, praising the Lord for who he is and for what he's done. But however God is speaking to your heart, now is the time for us to be doers of this word and not just hearers only. Let's stand with every head bowed and every eye closed. God, we thank you today for your word. Lord, for the promises that are fulfilled. Lord, for the hope that we have because of Jesus who came to Jerusalem, who suffered and died, and who rose again so that we could have salvation. God, today, I pray for those who are here, for those who are online, who don't have this personal relationship with you, that today would be the day that they would call upon you and be saved. God, for Christians today, I pray that you would encourage us, Lord, by your word, to walk in faithfulness, to, to walk in boldness, Lord, as we know that the one who called us is faithful. And we ask these things in Jesus' name, amen.